Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in education, child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, trauma-informed self-regulation program that integrates social-emotional learning, culture, and discipline. In general, it provides adults and children with the skills to be disciplined enough to set and achieve goals, conscious enough to know you're off track, and connected enough to others so you're willing to persevere and return to your chosen path. So what are real teachers? Well, real teachers teach children and adults of all ages, from infancy to as old as you're willing to keep learning. My 84-year-old aunt takes two classes a semester, and my granddaughter has been taking French way before she started, quote, school. Regardless of whom you teach, what you teach, or how you teach, real teachers teach people, children, not subjects. And my experience has taught me that life gets difficult and challenging when we forget that basic premise, and we begin to think we teach science or language arts or world history instead of people. So today we're talking about conscious discipline with older children. And many people believe that conscious discipline is an early childhood program. So let's clear that up first. Conscious discipline is more accurately called a practice rather than a program. It's not a prescriptive curriculum you give to specific age groups. So it doesn't come in packages such as conscious discipline for three to five year olds or conscious discipline for the sixth grade or sixth to eighth grade. It is not a sequence curriculum at all. It is a mindset shift and a skill set upgrade that we need to manage our thoughts, emotions, and behavior enough to create healthy relationships in order to do two things like I mentioned earlier. Set and achieve goals despite obstacles and distractions solve any conflict or problem they may encounter. So it's more of a practice and a philosophy than a program. So who is it for? Well, it's for any adult who wants to improve their relationships with significant others, co-workers, family members, and children. It's for any adult and children of all ages who want to solve some of these interpersonal conflicts peacefully in a win-win manner. So if you want to be in a healthy relationship and solve your conflicts, I guess it's for you. It's also for any person who has certain goals. If you want to lose weight, eat better, learn to read, learn to do math, it's for you too. So it is not an early childhood program. However, we have focused on early childhood simply because we focus on optimal brain development. And in early childhood, it's happening fast. And it lays the foundation for the rest of your life. So Any house built on a good foundation is better than a house on sand. And I think we learned that from the three pigs and the wolf, if I recall it correctly. So the emotional and social development of young children has a direct effect on their overall development for the rest of their life. So we started young. But since then, we've spread into 47 countries and upwards to middle and high schools. The spread upward in grades truly happened through a silent childhood movement. Head Start children went to public schools more regulated with new social-emotional skills than the schools had previously seen, so they said, hmm, I want what they're eating. Uh, Then uh, the first-grade children went to second grade. The second-grade teachers thought, hmm, 
something's going on. What are they doing? And then those kids went to fifth and sixth grade. Then those kids went to middle school, and middle school teachers going, hmm, where are these kids coming from? They seemed more regulated, more able to focus, more able to manage their emotions and their behavior. So ultimately, now those kids, when we started 20 years ago, are in high school, and some are going to college. So it grew with the kids. It was a child movement, very similar to the Enough is Enough movement that students started at school shootings. So the kids are actually going to the next grade saying, where's my safe place? How do we do this? How do we, you know, where's this? And the teachers don't know what they're talking about. So this educational transformation movement of children has propelled conscious discipline into all grades, into community prisons, drug treatment programs, businesses, pediatrics, dentistry, and beyond. So Today, I'm going to talk with Kristen Abel. Kristen's talked to us before. She's a 25-year National Board Certified Teacher. She has a BS degree and a master's degree in educational leadership. She spent the majority of her time teaching fifth grade. She's been Teacher of the Year, and she has a new job she's going to tell us about. But welcome, Kristen, to Real Talk for Real Teachers. Thank you, Dr. Bailey. It's great to be here again. So tell us about your new job. My new job is I get to uh, be dean of students at my school. They've added that on to my role, and it's a great uh, experience for me and a great uh, job for me because I get to work with all of the students in the in the in, in my school, where I get to work with students who are struggling um, and need to learn a better way uh, to help solve their problems. So you're working with kids then of all ages, and how? Where do you go? What's the grade levels in your school? Uh, Pre-K through five. Pre-K through five. So let's go back to when you were the fifth grade teacher. Now, how long were you in fifth grade? I did fifth grade for about 22 years. So you've been there 22 years. Conscious discipline's been around 20. So we've Mm -hmm. almost done this whole thing together. You took it right to fifth grade. Right. At a time when nobody else probably in the world was even considering doing it in fifth grade. So how was that when you went to fifth grade and the whole world is doing, at that point, probably early childhood? You know, when I first went to the training, when I went to my first summer institute, and I literally was the only intermediate grade teacher in a room of 120 people, I thought, "Mm, what am I doing? But once I did the training and realized that this was a journey for not only my students, but for myself, I knew that this was the way to go to help my students be successful, not only in academics, but also in their life and learning a better way to help self-regulate themselves and so that they could be successful in every part of their life. So it, it was a big jump for me, but it was a jump that I knew I needed to do to make myself a better educator and to help my students succeed. And so have you found that to be true? Oh, absolutely. It has been such a great journey for me personally and watching my students grow and learning a different way to solve problems and learning the way to self to self-regulation. I, I love when uh, students will email me back or, or text me back and, and share their success stories of things that happen in middle school and high school and even in college. It is I, I know that I've made a difference with them as they have made a difference with me. And that's interesting now because now that we've been around long enough, you are having those kids that are in college and stuff. And so I've always said this, that the skills, these are internal resources we're giving ourselves and we're giving children. And so what I'm hearing from you is they take it with them when they leave. Is, and that's what you're saying. Yes. 
Yeah, I was always, you know, I always had that fear. I was always fearful that, oh, they would lose it in middle school and and how could I help them to be successful? And and I eventually had to let go of that fear and that anxiousness because I knew what I had done was enough and and they have those skills and they'll use them as they move through middle school and high school. And they did, they used their, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I taught my, my fifth graders is to use that assertive voice when they were in a situation um, that they needed to use it. And that has been, I think, one of the best gifts that I've been able to give them is that big voice or, or, or what we call in fifth grade, the assertive voice. Can you recall a story about a fifth grader that you taught that has contacted you and shared something with you later in their life of a skill they used? I sure do. I keep in contact with a student that you actually came in and filmed. He's a senior in high school this year, so he'll graduate and go on to college next year, next school year. And he actually emailed me at my school email. So that that's nice that they can still keep in touch with me that way. And he was telling me about a situation on one of his sports teams that he is on and, and he was struggling to do well on the team. And people were saying things and making comments to him about that, his performance. And he used to, he said, I used my big voice, my assertive voice to let them know that I didn't like it when they use that. I'm trying my hardest and it would be helpful if they would say kind words and cheer him on and and give him that encouragement that he needed to, to get back to the place he needed to be on the team and, and do the best he could on the team. And and I thought, Oh, that is so amazing. You know, here's this kid, a senior in high school, and he's doing this over the summer. And, and he was just so, I felt so proud. And I know he felt so proud that he could use those skills, even as a junior going into a senior year to, to get ready for the school year. Yeah, and that assertiveness is is just teaching others how we want to be treated. And I don't think that that skill is just for little kids or any age. I know I use it, or I hope to use it more than I do, but I use it often. I had another uh, person tell me that uh, it was in high school and maybe middle school, and some boy came up to her and started poking her and messing with her. And she just looked at him and said, if you want to say hi, just say hi. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so these skills are just universal. Mm-hmm. I agree. So uh, what results did you see academically? Did it interfere? Because people say, you know, I teach fifth grade or I'm in middle school. I only have them this much time. I don't have much time. I got to cover all this. We've got testing. We've got this. We've got that. You know, I don't have time for this. What would be your response? Well, I think that the key for me when I was in the classroom was that, you know, I provided that sense of safety. So when a child was struggling or didn't understand a concept, they had that safety that they could ask for help. They knew that they would not be made fun of. They would not be laughed at. So in that case, I saw kids who were, would ask me for help or ask a neighbor for help. And so from that, they were able to grow just in their confidence alone. So I saw a huge gain in my test scores because the students were afraid to ask for help. And for the longest time, I thought, oh, well, it's just because I have a school family. And that is a huge part of it. But it's also, I think, that sense of safety that I don't understand this math problem. This is able, I need some help. And I think that was one of the biggest ahas for me is that sense of safety where kids could ask for help and be allowed to not understand a concept and then under, then get the help they need to understand it. And I think that's been the hugest, hugest growth that I've seen with my students. So... Let's go with the parts. First, let me back up. So we have the powers, the skills, and the structures in conscious discipline. The powers have to do with your intention. Are we conscious of our intention? The skills have to do with the words that ride on those intentions. How do we use this 
as a teaching moment as opposed to saving or rescuing or punishing. And then we have the structures, which are just like a worksheet for math, something to remind us in the room to keep our eye on this ball called kindness, or let's keep our eye on being helpful because our mind kind of has a negative bias. It wants Mm -hmm. to see that something might be attacking us at all times. So how did you adapt this to fifth grade, and did you have to do a lot of adapting? You know, in the beginning, I, I'll be honest, I started with the structures, you know, because I don't think I was ready for this journey. And then as I grew and changed the way my I ran my classroom, the way I incorporated conscious discipline um, in my room changed. And I think the biggest thing for me was the language, using the language with my students. And I started off on day one using the language of safety. Um, I gave them choices. You have a choice. You can start with number one. You can start with number two. I used the language of look at her face. Her face is saying, I don't like that take a step back. Look at her face. Her face is saying, I don't like it when you grab my pencil, ask for a turn. And I use that language in a non-threatening safety way that the students heard me saying this and they're all kind of going, oh, so even though they're nine and 10 and 11, they're hearing, some of these are hearing this for the first time because a lot of times we do this when they're four and we can use this language when they're young. But a lot of my fifth graders had never heard a teacher speak that way. So for me, the biggest aha was the language and, and then changing the way I view my students. And I think one of the biggest lessons, and I think this is hard for intermediate students, and this is something that I talk about with my students at my school, is that we have to see misbehavior as a way to teach. They're not out to get you. It's not all about you. It's about how can we help them learn a different way. So when I learned that and changed my perception and used that language of safety, I didn't really tweak the structures at all. I used the ones that I was comfortable with. I used the ones that I felt I could do in my classroom. But to be honest with you, I went to a you know kindergarten session at one of the CD1s and I thought, well, I can do all of that. I just have to do it with me. And so I use basically everything a kindergarten teacher does. I just do it on a fifth grade level and it worked beautifully. Do you think that helped your students academically? Yes. I I think, again, going back to the safety, knowing that they had a safe place, knowing that they had connections, knowing that they had the language to use to ask for help or to solve a problem, I think it just helped to bring a sense of calm to them so that they could then learn. And when when your brain is ready to go, then they're ready to learn. And I think that's the biggest thing with academics. If you're, if you feel threatened, you're going to come into the school feeling threatened. And you're, and if you don't have a calm classroom or a teacher that's willing to help, then you're not going to be, you're not going to engage in learning. And I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. And so a lot of people say also they're 10 years old or 11 years old or 14. I don't care how old they are. 25. You should know better by now. And I expect you should have learned that somewhere or saw it somewhere, or I'm not sure how you're supposed to know better, but what do you say to those, those teachers that say, well, they should know better by now. It's not my job. Well, you know, I say to them, you have to think of their, the tools that they come to school with. They have tools to do math. They have tools to do reading. And we easily say, oh, well, they're struggling with phonics. We have to find a phonics program and we have to help them with learning phonics or they don't know their times table. So let's practice times tables. I said, you're so willing to do that, but how, how can we not see that behavior is also a way that we need to teach them? Because some kids come with 
excellent tools in their in their backpack, if you will, that they can use to help solve problems or help manage their selves in school. And others do not. Some of them don't know what they know. Some of them come to school and use cussing or they use hitting or they use kicking. And we have to learn look at that as not well, they should know better because they're 10, but we have to look at that as a way to say this is when we can teach them a better way in school. And I, and I think that's where a lot of intermediate teachers struggle. And that's been one of my biggest goals with them when I do trainings with teachers, especially intermediate teachers, is helping them understand that we have to view, we have to have that positive intent, and we have to look at this as a way to teach them a better way, different tools that they can access as they get older. And I always think of middle school, you know, when they go to middle school, I want them to have the tools in their backpack that they can use, you know, when they go to middle school and high school and solve their problems. Yeah, exactly. Have you done any work in middle school? I have. I have done some training with some uh, middle school teachers and have gone into the middle schools just to to visit and be with them. And I get emails from parents that my students have gone on to, to sixth grade. And I always say, please email me when you have concerns or questions. So usually the first, I still get emails even now when I have students in eighth and ninth grade, just asking for support and advice. And, and I think it's important to offer that to the middle school teachers and to the middle school kids, because it is such a different environment than an elementary school. So with your classes that you've had, and I know each class is very, very different, Mm -hmm. but what are some of the things about conscious discipline that you felt the children overall adored? I mean, stuff you wouldn't necessarily think of, but they just kind of gravitated to this thing in general, and then maybe an example. Um, I I would definitely, I think the greetings, and I did good morning greetings, and then I did goodbye greetings, if you will, goodbye greetings you know, in the afternoon. And I think that was one of their favorite times um, each day. And it was something that I did not ever not do. It was something I always did because I think that connection with me in the morning, that one-on-one connection, even though it was just brief, was so, so very important for them. I think something else that my students over the years has been the safe place. And I think the safe place has been a place that has uh, opened up so much for my students and allowed them, and I've said this before, how important it is for students to be able to feel at school. Um, I I can remember when I was in school and and having a teacher say, oh, no, know, buck up, you know, quick, dry your tears. You can hand, you know, you can do it. And, and allowing my students to feel angry and sad in the classroom or scared, um, I think opened up such a huge thing for them that they were like, this is amazing for me. And, and I think that the safety just blossomed with that. And, you know, I, I have had the feeling buddies in my classroom and still do even in my resource room to this day. I can't tell you the number of students that have used the feeling buddies who have made copies of the feeling buddies, traced it so they could take one home. And these are 10 and 11 year olds. And, and I think the feeling buddies has been such a, a huge thing for them. And I, there's n- numerous stories of students who have used the buddies um, over the years. I had a student yesterday who used uh, the buddies in my resource room because his feelings were hurt um, out at recess. He got him out. We sat there. We went through the process. And, and I watched him, you know, able to self-regulate. And, and then we were able to compose and, and handle it and head back to class. It, it was truly amazing. Yeah. And so for those listening, the safe place is a self-regulation learning center. It's not just a place to go hang out in the classroom. It's a place that has some tools and strategies, or you've taught them tools and strategies. So it is a place in a classroom where a child can go and take a moment away from 
uh, whatever's happening in the classroom, even though they're still part of the classroom, and just take some breaths or acknowledge their feelings or work through some frustration or sadness or something that's going on with them so they can get back into the classroom ready to learn. And the feeling buddies, when we were working on those feeling buddies, um, I must admit, I learned a lot from Kristen's classroom because she would come to these institutes and then she'd go back and at the very beginning put it in fifth grade. And then I'd be over in her classroom and like, oh, I thought the age on this was four to eight. And then there I go in fifth grade and she's doing wonders with it. So I have learned from you that social emotional learning has no age limit. And the tools that I might have thought were helpful for little kids are just as helpful for myself and for the older kids. It makes it a little more concrete something that's very mystical to many of us. Yes. I think the feeling buddies is an amazing thing. And, and I had it and, and, and I was so nervous to use it and felt so nervous. And then my kids showed me and then I, I don't know what I would do without the feeling buddies. I think it is, is a huge part of my safe place because again, I think it allows students to feel in, in school and it's okay to feel in school. And I think that's huge. Yes. So you've been talking about the feeling buddies, and for those who aren't that familiar, they're like gingerbread, actual physical gingerbread-looking dolls, so to speak, with feeling faces on it, uh, researched feeling faces. And we have the main feeling faces, and then we have mm-hmm. the cousins, which are anxious and disappointed. And so what you have found then is that they actually enjoy selecting one, because they mm-hmm. live in little pouches, so they actually select one. And what do they do with it? Well, there is a curriculum that goes along with it, and I would teach the curriculum uh, during my reading groups for the first few weeks of school just to get started. Some of the stuff in the curriculum is I had to tweak it to fit uh, 10-year-olds, so that was something I did have to do. But for the most part, it was uh, great and laid out for me to teach it to them. I wanted them to start mirroring the feeling buddies and start recognizing their facial cues as well and what was happening inside of them so that we could begin to recognize, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad. And then we would get a feeling buddy and we would practice it and we would talk to the buddy. Um, And and I did it in small groups because I felt that it was a safer environment for them to practice um, and did it in reading groups uh, during that time. And then I practiced, if you didn't want to say it out loud, we talked about doing it in our head and talking to the feeling buddies in our head. And I said, you know, you're talking to this buddy to help you recognize what's going on inside of you so that you can start helping yourself to get to self-regulate. And we talked about breathing and, and doing all that. So I taught all of those skills with the buddies, breathing and all the steps of the safe place during those reading group times so that my students could actually touch a buddy, experience what we were talking about, looking at the faces and feeling it on our face as well. So really mirroring what was happening so they could start talking about and, and looking at how the feeling buddies worked. Yes. And so again, for those listening They started because self-regulation requires two, me regulating my feelings. And so it's to help us move from I am angry, which means Becky has disappeared. I'm just angry now, to I feel angry. And that Mm -hmm. I feel my anger is two. I feel my anger. I am thinking these thoughts so I can regulate my thoughts if I am thinking them. But if I am stupid, I am that thought. 
So you can see how that's empowering for all ages of people, and you took it and brilliantly adapted it for your fifth graders. Thank you. So do you have any dramatic story of one kid maybe helped by the buddies that you could share with us? I have a lot, but the one that kind of stands out with me is is a young girl whose um, uncle died unexpectedly. It was very sudden, and she was very close with him. Um, And mom had contacted me in the morning and said she wanted to come to school because school was it was a safe place for her. So she came to school, and we did wish wells, and and she immediately said, "I'm going to get the sad buddy." I said, "That is fine." And she said, sad's going to sit with me all day. I said, absolutely. I understand this is very hard for you. This is a really hard time for your family. And we're here to help you and support you and wish you well. A lot of my students would use the buddies. They would be throughout the classroom on their desk, in their pockets. But when we left the room, I was the only one at my school doing conscious discipline uh, with myself and with my students. Um, They didn't quite feel safe enough to carry the buddies outside of the classroom, but she did, this student did this day. And she said, I really need to take him with me all day everywhere. And I said, absolutely. So we went out to recess, we went to lunch and, and sad went with her all day. And then she said, you know, Mrs. Abel, I'd really like to take sad home and, and have him with me overnight. I said, absolutely. You can take him home. So he left the classroom in the back, in the pocket of her backpack and went home with her and, and came back the next day and sat with her for a little bit longer. And I just thought how powerful this is that this child knows she can come to school because she feels safe. She has some tools that will help her through this extremely hard time with her family. And I got to be a part of that and help her self-regulate herself through this. Not that we're going to say that we're going to just forget about her uncle, but this was a way for her to continue feeling sad, but continue on with her with her life and her school and her schoolwork. And to your knowledge, did any other students outside comment at lunch or comment? Did she get any blowback from this at all? She at recess, she had it. And she, I said, how about I hold sad while you go play and run around in the in the dirt? And she said, oh, okay. So I had a student from another class said, what is that? And I said, well, this is sad. You know, if you would like to meet sad, this is the sad buddy. I'm holding him for um, so-and-so. And he said, why? I said, well, she's feeling really sad today. She had a family situation. He said, she can hold that all day. I said, absolutely. It sits with her because she's still herself, but she's feeling sad. And he kind of looked at me and I thought, do you want to talk some more about it? And he goes, I might. He said, I might stop by your classroom and check out these feeling buddy things. And I said, okay. So he came by that afternoon and kind of looked at them and then headed on out to buses. So I thought, hey, you know what? I'm planting a seed somewhere else. And uh, he was interested in it. So you never know. You never know. That's for sure. So let's add it up. I mean, usually I asked you, just talk to me about fifth grade, but let's just open this up to middle school. Let's go high school. So what would you say to intermediate, middle, or high school teachers about conscious discipline and its application to older students? Three or four major things you would like for them to hear and to consider as a teacher. Yeah, I think one of the most important things that that we can do as educators is to make connections, make connections with our students, make connections with our family. I think that has to be one of the top things that whether you want to go on this conscious discipline journey or not, because that is a choice. But I do think that connections are so powerful and they are so necessary um, in our schools right now. 
Um, I think something else is you need to see things from the student's point of view. Um, I read something online about a, a teacher who let a student sleep in his class because he could actually understand where she was coming from. And it was so powerful to me because I think it's important that as educators, we have to also see where some of our students are coming from, what they're going through at home and how we can help them be successful at school. Um, I also think that it's incredibly important to provide um, structure for our students, uh, provide procedures. I think especially uh, with middle school students, I think it's important for them to know, when can I use the restroom? How do I sharpen my pencil? How do I turn in my homework? Um, how do I ask for help? And I think as intermediate teachers, whether you're in middle school or high school, you need to provide structure for them so the unknown is not unknown and they know how to ask for help. And they just know the simple structures of the classroom. I think that provides a lot of safety. Uh, for intermediate students. You know, those are brilliant. And I was in a high school. They asked me to come, and they were very, very unwilling because they had, again, classified conscious Mm -hmm. discipline as an early childhood program as opposed to a life practice. And I talked about putting up some visuals for the students in high school. And they said, oh, that's just stupid. We can't do that. That's too babyish. And interesting enough, I ended up in the janitor closet. Um, That's a long story right there. But I ended up in the high school in the janitor's closet. And the first thing I saw was how, in pictures, how to wring out the mop and put it in the bucket. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you look at uh, the TSA lines. You look at those. You know, they're saying, oh, look, I'm, get the water out, get the water out, get the water out. Then they put up a picture of the water, and they put a thing through, and all ages run through those lines. And it's like, do you want my laptop out? Is my laptop come out? Does my laptop come out? Look at the picture. Yes, your laptop comes out. So sometimes we can uh, skip what's most important to us. And I think those three things you said are probably allow us to s- teach students, to teach Mm -hmm. children, to teach people, not a subject. And again, I'm going to end with how I started. If we forget we're teaching people, teaching students, teaching children, we're going to find ourselves ultimately in a world of hurt. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to do a service to our country and to the education of our children. So again, I want to thank you so much, Kristen, for your sharing with us, your brilliance, your your willingness, because you literally are the pioneer of conscious discipline with older children. And thanks to you, it has grown faster with older students than it ever could have. And I hope you can take that and receive it and hear it and be grateful as I am for you. Well, thank you very much. It's it's an honor to be on this journey, and I look forward to uh, sharing with many more teachers so that we can keep it going. <laughs> and Kristen is a certified conscious discipline instructor. She does do trainings with all ages, actually, but she really can help the older grades and middle school and those kind of come around. So if you want more information about Kristen, you just call the office and ask for her. So thank you again. So let's go to my celebrations. We're now collecting school district data. So we have school districts that are doing conscious discipline. And the most recent school district data that we got showed that conscious discipline had reduced discipline referrals by 14,000, out-of-school suspension by 2,000, and in-school suspension by 2,500. 
So that's exciting. We're celebrating the fact that we're uh, moving just from one teacher to schools, to a collection of elementary schools, and to school districts. So word is spreading. And so what's Becky up to? Well, interesting enough, I'm reading a, a book called The Brain and the Gut. So I'm doing some research on how to get my own stomach and my own brain working on the same page and how my the trauma in my own life has impacted my gut. So I find it very interesting. And as I said, I'm a lifelong learner and a lifelong teacher. So until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.